do you view your own success? Are you leading with compassion or are you considered ruthless? There is plenty of room for both types of leaders, but the best way to lead successfully is to balance boldness and integrity, using kindness and compassion to earn respect. Combine this with a go-getter, visionary, and aggressive drive to stay competitive. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks. We'll use the ideas heard today and in this series to help you use every advantage to achieve the best end result. Now, here's your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I am your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and I'm delighted that you've joined us today. We are in for a big treat. One of my favorite authors on the whole planet, um, the last book that I read from him was America Reunited, a relational solution to bridging the political, social, and personal chasm dividing our nation. So today we welcome Dr. Arthur C. McCauley. Welcome, Arthur. How are you? I am fantastic. And how about yourself? I'm good, thanks. All right. Fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, great to be with you again. Our last interview was a little over a year ago when we talked about your book, The Soulful Leader. And the reason it's one of my favorite books is it talks about the success with authenticity, integrity, and empathy. So that's how we first met a little over a year ago. And then I want to bring us back because I want to address the elephant in the room. And the audience doesn't know about the elephant, but I, I would like for you to share with it because it was a profound experience for me. Back on March 17th of this year, I received an email notice and the header was my new book, America Reunited. And when I read that subject line, I thought, oh, wonderful, fantastic. Dr. Sierra McCauley has a new book coming out. I, I would be delighted to interview him again for the show. And I didn't open the email right away. I was working on a project and thought, I'll get back to it and read it. When I opened the, re- the email, I had a shock because it started off, I was recently diagnosed with cancer and my heart sank and it hurt. And your, re- your email was just such a beautiful email in resiliency and hope. Mm-hmm. And triumph. And so, if you could bring us up to date on where you stand, you're not letting any grass grow under your feet. You have much to do. And it's my understanding that we have a lot of success around your treatment. But if you would bring us up to date and let's talk about how you navigated this along with writing a book. Sure, Kathy. And, you know, you were kind enough to send me um, condolences and and well wishes and things to read. So I I appreciate that very much when you heard this news. But, yeah, my my treatment is going very, very well. My numbers are low. I'm in a normal range now. So my cancer is in remission. And uh, other than coping with some of the side effects, which we're addressing right now, uh, they they should be remedied in the near future and I should be back to normal. So all things are good. 
Fantastic. Well, that's what we want to hear. So I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful for the email because you were definitely teacher in the moment of how can you let the world know that that you've hit a speed bump and you're not succumbing to becoming a victim to cancer. So let me share with the audience a little bit about you because I want them to know that you're a licensed clinical psychologist and you've been treating clients for more than 35 years. Um, now, you currently have a private practice but you've also been working on developing courses and podcasts in the educational community in China. And that's based on your recent books, The Power of Empathy and The Soulful Leader, which I love, and The Triumph of Diversity. You've been on various faculty staffs, in, including Harvard Medical School, and you've spent your entire career where you've really helped to reduce the prejudice toward people with prejudice toward themselves. And I do want to dive into what that means as well as others. And you've also Mm -hmm. increased and worked to increase with enormous benefits, the diversity and transformational power of being an empathetic person when it comes to interpersonal relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. You have a core belief. And that belief is every human being has the capacity to grow and uncover the goodness that lies within each of their own spiritual being. And what I loved about your latest book is you really illustrated that in in areas of um, Ben, your jiu-jitsu teacher, and Ayala, I mean, you just really were able to illustrate how transformation can take place, even when someone comes from a really dark or challenging place. So, mm-hmm. Dr. Sierra McCauley, I want to welcome you to today's show. Thank you very much, Kathy. I appreciate being here. All right. My pleasure. Well, let's dive into this, because one of the things that your book really captures is what's the origin of hatred if we start with the beginning because we we see I mean we don't have to have a news show on or a podcast on or uh, any of our social media on or pick up a newspaper where hate is fomenting in this country and mm-hmm. what is the origin of that when we really step back to the foundational aspect where did it come from well, you know, you're right, Kathy, that hatred has, has been increased tremendously, as, as well as prejudice in our country. Where does it come from? From early experiences of helplessness and unresolved repetitive hurts that are projected outward. People who hate are often projecting their, their misery, their, their internal angst onto others. Rather than going inside and trying to understand the origin of it so and so that they can unravel it and actually come to, come to terms with it. But when you're blaming other people, when you're just expressing hatred, and we know that that is prevalent in our society today, hateful speech and hateful behavior. And it's, it's prevalent on both sides. You know, a study by the, the National Academy of Science indicates that both, both Democrats and Republicans have been dehumanizing each other equally. And both, um, both have, have done this with very little understanding of the other side, very little empathy for the person in, in, on the other opposing view or opposing political view. But it does come from these early unresolved issues, and, and 
some some people go inward in that regard, and they realize that maybe they've had trauma in their life, but they need to resolve it, and not all people are against them. Other people project it out. That's also where sadism comes from, the, the enjoyment in hurting other people, and we've seen a lot of that as well in recent times. Yeah, and I guess my question is when... When you don't relate to that sadism, when you don't relate to that level of hatred, how does one where you'd say they're on the polar opposite, where do you go about bridging that gap and supporting others to even have a different point of view? I, I know in Clemmer workshops, it's a, it's a simple exercise, but it's a poignant um, discovery. We'll hold up our, our um, course workbook, and on one mm-hmm. side of the workbook, it's just a plain black cover on one side. It's the back of the workbook. But on the other side, it's got red and a gold slash down it and a black design and it has white print on it. And you hold it up with two students facing each other and you ask, what colors do you see? Well, Mm -hmm. of course, one side is going to see black and only black. The other side is going to see red, gold, black and white. It's the same notebook, right? And we'll go back and forth and back and forth. So how do you use the tools and enroll people into getting that they're looking at the same notebook, that they're looking at the same life, the same planet, the same humanity when they're coming from such different backgrounds? And then I guess there's a lot of folks in the middle that will yeah. do a little bit of a cha-cha where it's selective hatred maybe. It's not all mm-hmm. across the board, but it's selective. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you start changing that behavior? Well, the key, the key to changing that behavior, I believe, is empathy. Empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another person. But the only way that you can expand your empathic range is if you slow down. So in my leadership and communication groups where I have people come together from all walks of life and differences of opinion that they have are in the room, is slowing down and not having people react impulsively and quickly so that we can ascertain really what the other person is saying. Empathic listening leads to unraveling the hurts that people have had so they can separate the past from the present. You know, what, what I try to teach in those experiences not to to project old faces onto new faces. And we know that we misperceive often because of things that we haven't resolved in our life. So when you help people slow down, when they have that hatred or anger in their heart and you have them slow down and ask them, actually, what is hurting you? What is disappointing you? What is bothering you? What is making you feel so intense? And what do you hear the other person saying? Well, what, what is it that you're opposing? Then we get at the facts. You know, empathy is fact-oriented. It slows down the process so that we can really look at what's happening and correct distortion, generalization, and assumptions to get to the objective truth. 
I love that. So let's talk a little bit because I think your communication groups, at least from what I can gather in the books, your communication groups is a, an incubator for just that cause. Can you walk us through what happens when someone joins your communication group? And it's a live group at this time. I'm, I'm curious how, how the group navigated during the pandemic, but share a little bit about the communication groups that you host. Well, these are these are the groups of uh, I have three groups that have been ongoing for many many years, and there are usually ten people in each group, men and women. And um, these are not people generally that are mentally ill, but they are people who want to balance their lives and achieve a higher quality of life. And the main reason they come is in terms of their relationships. They'd like to be able to maintain intimacy longer. And, and be able to get closer to other people and have more of a community in their lives than they have currently. They, they have to learn how to slow down. They're often very driven people. There are a lot of people in the corporate world who are very driven, working 60, 70 hours a week and not taking very good care of themselves, so we focus on self-care as well. But the majority of what we do is focus on is correcting the prejudices people have toward themselves, the prejudices they've grown up having toward themselves, and the misperceptions or prejudices they have toward other people. You know, nutritionists say that we are what we eat. As a clinical psychologist, I frequently say and teach that, that we are what we perceive. And it's how we perceive that is so very important. And people learn to understand themselves better and better in these groups because they get tactful feedback over time. And people get to know each other very, very well. There's no socializing outside the group. Everything stays inside the group. So as, as time goes on, people get to know each other very well, but they also get to know where their misperceptions are. You may have a perception of Joe Smith in the first session, and after six weeks, you realize that was totally incorrect. And you learn more and more how to fine-tune what you see and to separate the past issues in your life that have troubled you that are interfering with you perceiving accurately. I love hearing that. I, I noticed it was a natural organic experience that I had in college. My freshman year in college, I lived in the dorms. Uh, shout out to Indiana University. Loved my experience there. But one of the things that happened with me, I'll never forget because you're thrown into a dorm situation and you have complete strangers that all of a sudden you're living with. You might be brushing your teeth at the at the group sink, you know, all of that together. And some of my very best friends from freshman year were also women that I didn't necessarily have that great first impression of. Maybe they were having a meltdown with their parents when they moved in and I had judgment over that or um, just different things that happened. And one of the things that I realized is I was collecting friends from all different walks of life. I navigated toward friends that, um, and I still stay in touch with today, who were from other states, who were from other religions, who were from other ethnic backgrounds. And it was Mm -hmm. an invitation for me to learn about their culture. And that was one of the things that I really appreciated. And I think on day one, if someone would have said, you know, Marlene Bernstein will be your, you know, among your best friends, I would have said, really? Huh, don't see that one. Or Cheryl Shiro is among your best friends even today at 61. I wouldn't have called that. I just would have thought, yeah, dorm room associates, that sort of thing. But it wasn't mm-hmm. the case. 
And I'm really grateful for that. Um, <clears throat> we are coming into our first break. I can't believe it. It goes so fast. So I'm going to invite the audience to stay tuned for more. You've been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Leadership development isn't limited to people in the executive suites or corporate boardrooms. Employees throughout a company recognize their role in fulfilling the company's mission. Effective leadership is a quality that must be shared by employees from the top down. Clemmer & Associates Corporate Mastery Workshop focuses on key topics to equip each student's development into a highly productive and ethical leader. For more information, visit Clemmer.com. That's K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. Kathy Fairbanks is available to speak for your event or organization. Kathy is the Director of Client Solutions for Clemmer & Associates Leadership Seminars. Kathy and her corporate team provides experiential training introductions to clients worldwide in order to support them in achieving their desired goals. Put Kathy Fairbanks to work for you. Call 800-577-5447 or send an email to Kathy at clemmer.com. The next step for growth is yours. Call 800-577-5447 or email Kathy at K-L-E-M-M-E-R dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at compassionatesamuraishow.com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. You've been listening to your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and our amazing guest, Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley. And we've been talking about America Reunited is his latest book. And we were talking about the subject of race and diversity. And um, we finished up on a college experience that I have. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my parents who instilled Welcoming, welcoming everyone into their home, into their life, regardless of race, regardless of um, preferences in life, and just being very inclusive. And what they instilled in me is a curiosity about humanity. And I'm grateful because as a freshman in college, um, I was curious about other people. And if that had been shut down, or if I thought there was only one way to view people, I wouldn't have the, the friends that I actually have today. And I'm grateful for that. So, did you have a comment about that, Arthur? Yes, I, I just think it's such a beautiful example of, of a couple of things. One is how parents profoundly influence their children. 
what if what if you grew up with parents who were prejudiced themselves? What if they had certain dislikes of certain ethnicities of certain religions? Then you would have withdrawn from those people. Then you would have probably isolated yourself, or you probably would have asked for a transfer to another room where you would, would choose to be with someone who seemed on the outside more like you. But your parents taught you to be open to the world, to, to invite in people of different perspectives. And because of that, you gain from the diversity in the world. You know, diversity just enriches the soul, increases creativity and intelligence. I mean, we know from credible studies with children that grow up in diverse environments, diverse educational institutions, they have far less prejudice and far less tension than kids who grow up in, in, in very isolated areas where they don't, they don't really relate to people of other races or ethnicities. And why is that? Because they're not surprised when, when a white person meets a black person or a black person meets a Hispanic person or an Asian person because they've had friends in those groups all their lives. And they have friends of different religions throughout their lives. So there's no surprise, there's no, there's no initial anxiety that that person is not like me. And I think what the example you gave was really using empathy, because empathy allows you to see beyond the surface into the heart and soul of another human being and see in the end, we're all more alike than we are dissimilar. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I'm reflecting now of how it does get passed down generationally. We didn't know it at the time, but I'll, I'll never forget when we took our daughter to do her college tour. She's 31 now, and, and she wasn't really sure what type of school she wanted. But when we landed in Boston... And we did the tour at Boston University because it's a um, a large urban university, but the footprint of it is only about eight blocks, I think. And we were walking mm-hmm. from building to building. And in our tour group, she looked at me when we got to the, the biology building for a tour and she said, Mom, this is the school for me. Do you realize that just walking down the sidewalk, we've heard eight different languages being spoken? This is yeah. my home. And that was what she wanted. She wanted the opportunity to get to know people from other countries. And she made out her wedding list the other day. And it looks like her friendship list is, you know, you've got someone from Ghana. You've got someone from Costa Rica coming. You've got someone from China coming. You've got someone from Canada coming. And so it's just kind of the who's who from around the world. And that's enriched her life. And I know that it's enriched the lives of her friends. So I'm very grateful for that. All right. Well, you on what parents gave to you, you gave to her. Yeah, and it was organic. We didn't, you know, there wasn't a sit-down discussion around this. It was how you conduct yourself. And I feel fortunate because, as you say, not everyone grows up in that environment. So how does one overcome because it can be a general a, a generational break where you see prejudice and oppression uh, in a family in a neighborhood how do you break out of that cycle and start afresh um, you you have a beautiful example of that I think it was um, Ayala in in your book of how she mm-hmm. broke through that cycle through that pattern of prejudice and that mm-hmm. self-limiting belief of herself how, how do you mm-hmm. go through and coach someone with that well, the, the example, one of the stories in the book is, is about Anna, a black Brazilian woman who came here uh, at age 12 
And as she entered group, uh, the, the group experience, I mean, she had many prejudices. She, she had some hatred toward men, especially white men, and she felt like the, the white environment in the world, and especially in her work, were really oppressing her, and to some degree it was true, um, because she worked for a company that is known to advance white, attractive young women, but not black women. And uh, she came into the group believing that there would be a lot of differences, and and then and she was angry with people. And over time, as as she slowed down, and we helped her slow down, she uncovered the old hurts that she had with certain people who had hurt her, but realized that she was generalizing and assuming regarding other people. She learned that not all white people are the same. She learned that not all white people uh, run away from racism and won't talk about it because the people in the group are very willing to talk about it. Maybe not at first, there was a little hesitancy, but once once it opened up, the doors opened, we had many discussions about race and color and, you know, and, and her own inferiority, inferiority feelings about color and believing that people look at her and automatically dismiss her and that she realized over time that she was wrong. But again, empathy allows the situation, the interactions to slow down enough so that you can see, are you really perceiving the truth? For instance, when she believed that a certain man in the group was looking down upon her, I would ask her, you know, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, look at, look at, every, I was speaking and he's frowning. And he looked at her, this man, Frank, and said, I have a headache. You know, I, I'm not frowning because you're speaking. You're assuming that I'm thinking something negative about you. That's not true. Over time, as trust emerged, she realized that this is not a man that, that's racist or has any particular negativity toward her because of her color. And more and more of those experiences sort of unlocked that prejudice inside her and that she realized that she needs to assess people based on her their character, not their color. Not assuming that if you're of one color or another, this means a certain something. She realized, of course, there are white people who are racist. There are white people who aren't. But the skill that we focus on is expanding the range of empathy so that you can see beyond the surface to know who to get close to and who to remain distant from. Right, exactly. And, And who you want in your close inner circle. And sometimes... We've realized, I know it's one of the things uh, in Clemmer Leadership that we talk about, sometimes we'll need to move a few people further out of our inner circle. And it may not be permanent, but sometimes for our own emotional and mental health, it's important to move those folks out. So I realized I had for, I had uh, interchanged Anna's name with someone else in the book, so my apologies for that. Um, let's talk about income inequality because mm-hmm. I don't feel that it's the sole answer, but it's a huge impact and effect on the society that we lived in, live in. So how does income, I guess, does income inequality play into this? Yes, it certainly does, Kathy. And that's why I had a chapter on, on the, uh, the gap and the wealth gap in the United States, you know, of, of, of more of affluent nations. We have the widest poor wealth gap of, of any. And we, uh, many people, especially in certain, in certain 
states where uh, there's more affluence don't realize that there's 40 million people in the United States living below the poverty line. 40 million. 16 million children live below the poverty line. And and what does that do? Well, we know that people that grow up in poverty have increased mental illness, their cognitive capacity is reduced, their memory is affected. We know that in children that grow up in profound poverty, that by the time they're adolescents, the, the memory center of the brain, the hippocampus, is it has less diameter than other than kids who grow up where their basic needs are met. So we know that it, it affects children and adults on a physiological level as well. So wealth has a, has a great deal to do with uh, poor interpersonal skills as well. We know that people who are in the lowest uh, income bracket have the highest rates of suicide and divorce, and they have the highest rates of opiate and alcohol addiction as well. So when you can't make your, meet your basic needs, when you can't find housing or put food on the table, th- your whole world is turned upside down, and, and, and it, it has profound effects on your mental and physical health. And when you say that, when you say 40 million people in this country live below the poverty line, if, if you take it and apply it to other countries in the world, that's more than the entire country of Afghanistan. That's more than the entire country of Nepal or Peru or Malaysia. Yeah. Can you imagine an entire country living below the poverty line. So that really puts it in perspective, I think, and the ramifications, as you say, in terms of the learning curve and the job curve and the social interaction, it all comes into play. So what do we do about that? How do we impact change and how do we support change as one individual citizen? What's our call to action? I mean, one of the things that I focus on in in Massachusetts is I'm a big believer in the community college system, and and I'm obviously a big believer in education. And I don't mean four-year degrees. Like uh, with Anna, uh, she was in the group with uh, with other with two RNs, and she always wanted to be a nurse, but didn't think that she was smart enough. Didn't think that she could pay for four years of college. And what they were explaining to her is, you can go to a community college and become a nurse, and they do give loans and they do give financial aid. So she was really pursuing that, which which obviously would put her in a much different category than where she is economically right now. The other thing in this system here in Massachusetts, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure it exists in other states as well, you can get a 10, in 10 months or 12 months, you can be certified as an x-ray technician or a CT scan reader or an MRI reader. There are many medical positions uh, uh, that, that people can obtain certificates in and begin working and make decent money and, and, and have decent benefits. So I think we have to find ways like Anna, and in Anna's example, she didn't believe there was an option. But when she was around people, when she became familiar with people that found the option, she started to pursue it as well. So it, it, it's not an e- there's no easy solution, but I think having programs where people can obtain certificates in, in, and become professionals, and it doesn't take four years and $100,000, I I think there's so many people that are unaware of those opportunities, and we have to make them aware. 
Yeah, and and getting that awareness out there makes sense. I know um, in in our family's own life, my my parents um, mentored a young high school uh, woman, and she sums it up beautifully. She came from poverty. And she said, I refuse to remain in poverty. I'm not going to be a victim to poverty. She will be the first college graduate. She's uh, starting her second year um, at university this year. And she had a mentor. She had someone that uh, was a high school counselor that said, you can get yourself out of poverty by way of education. And that's what she focused on. That's where mm-hmm. she stayed. And she feels that she got very, very fortunate stumbling. Uh, my my mom hired her to, to pull weeds, you know, a minimum wage job just to, to pull weeds. And it has blossomed to where she has literally rolled into part of the family and lives when she's not at college with my sister and her husband. So they've pseudo adopted this beautiful 18-year-old girl who is changing her life. And I'll never forget when my mom said after the first day, she said, uh, hey, by the way, you've got a nice new pair of tennis shoes that you're wearing. You may not want to want to wear those nice shoes next time you come. Go ahead and, and you know, wear some, some shoes that you don't really care about. And she looked up at my mom and she said, these are the only pair of shoes I have. And that really underscored it, living 20, 25 minutes away in in sheer poverty. But she's getting herself out, and it's due to the programs. Um, Mm -hmm. She has a full ride, academic ride, to her university based upon the poverty level. And it will change the dynamics of her future and her family's future. Well, we are coming, we're coming into our second break. I ask the audience to stay tuned for more. We're going to dissect the book a little bit. We're going to come up with some tools. And I do want to get into the beautiful and thought-provoking assessment that's in the back of the book, America Reunited. Stay tuned for more. You've been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Leadership development isn't limited to people in the executive suites or corporate boardrooms. Employees throughout a company recognize their role in fulfilling the company's mission. Effective leadership is a quality that must be shared by employees from the top down. Clemmer & Associates Corporate Mastery Workshop focuses on key topics to equip each student's development into a highly productive and ethical leader. For more information, visit Clemmer.com. That's K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. Kathy Fairbanks is available to speak for your event or organization. Kathy is the Director of Client Solutions for Clemmer & Associates Leadership Seminars. Kathy and her corporate team provides experiential training introductions to clients worldwide in order to support them in achieving their desired goals. Put Kathy Fairbanks to work for you. Call 800-577-5447 or send an email to Kathy at clemmer.com. The next step for growth is yours. Call 800-577-5447 or email Kathy at klemmer.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I'm your host, Kathy Fairbanks. We are diving into a topic that I think, um, I feel, needs to be explored. And I cannot underscore enough for the audience to order a brilliant book called America Reunited. And the author is actually Dr. Sierra McCauley. And it's a quick read. It's a brilliant read, and at the end, the audience is given an opportunity to take, or the reader is given an opportunity to take an assessment, and we'll talk about that a little bit um, more in the show. What I'd like to cover now is what's the difference between feeling truths and knowledge truths. In the Clemmer Leadership Seminar, um, we call that fact meaning. Fact is one thing. We get to make that fact mean whatever it it it, it truly will mean for us. But share mm-hmm. with us, Arthur, if you would, what are feeling truths and knowledge truths, and what's that difference? Well, Kathy, one is dominated by confirmation bias, and confirmation bias is when we 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 desire an outcome so so badly that we actually perceive it, even though it's not there. And the other is based on knowledge. Knowledge truths are based on the facts. I tell a story in the, in, well, actually, it's a chapter. I say, uh, titled, I Saw Jesus Move. And um, it was when I was a, a young boy. I was in the eighth grade, and I was in a parochial school. And I had to make a choice whether to go to a public school or a parochial school. But the parochial school didn't have football, which was my favorite sport, and loved playing football. So... But the young priest in in the Catholic school was trying to get me to go to the parochial school, and I was very, very, very torn up inside. So I came up with an idea. I decided to go to church uh, eight days in a row. I made a commitment that I'd go eight days in a row in this little um, basement church, which is very dark in the morning, and I'd go in early. And I made made a a contract with with Jesus. I said, uh, you know, if you move to the right, on the cross, that means I can go to the public school and play football without any guilt whatsoever. And if I move, if you move to the left, then I'll go to the parochial school. So day one, day two, day three, all the way up to day eight, no movement. But on day eight, Jesus moved to the right, and I knew I could go to the public school and play football. I was, I was absolutely delighted. Now, as an adult, looking back on that, I can still see the cross move, but I know it didn't move. And there's the difference between 
between feeling truths and knowledge truths. Why did the cross move? Because I wanted it to. That's what confirmation bias is. I had a deep desire for it to be that way. And that's what a lot of prejudice is based on as well, misperception, wanting a certain outcome. You know, uh, Asian people are like this, black people are like that, Catholics or Jews are like this, Buddhists are like that. Making these assumptions and looking for data to support it without really looking at the facts. So I use that example in, in, in the book because I'm, I, it was a real experience that I had, and I did believe that the cross moved. Now, I know that that's impractical, but I can still see it. Why can I see it? Because I desired it so much. And that makes sense. I've often thought, and, and I've seen it uh, occur time and time again, if if our mind doesn't, if we don't provide our own facts, right, whatever those facts are, we're going to fill in the story with whatever our own perceptions are. There'll, there'll be a void, right? And so it's filling the perception in with the fact, right? And understanding that the behavior, right, comes first, and then we kind of put it in the right compartment and justify yeah. it the way that we want to justify it, right? Exactly. Or we've learned something very early that we just haven't examined. I, I give an example, and I think it was the diversity book where one of my clients, it was in the summer and my window was open uh, and he heard a, a dog barking and we were talking about some black athletes that he had had some exposure to recently. And he said to me, oh, you know, dogs don't like black people. And I said, what? And he mm -hmm. said, dogs don't like black people. And I said, well, how did you come to learn that? And he said, well, on my street, there was only one black family, and they had the corner house. And we had two dogs, and my mother always said, don't take the dogs down to the corner where the black people live because the dogs don't like black people. And I'm looking at this person who's a 56-year-old stockbroker, and he started to smile, and he said, I know, this sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I said, it's probably an example of what we've been working on. Like, did you ever take the dogs down to the corner? No. Have you ever been with a black person with a dog? No. I said, so you don't really know that. But your mother told you that. It got, it got incorporated into your long-term memory, and you believed it all these years. And he, and, he, and he said, yes, and I realized that that can't be true. Well, I, he said, I assume that can't be true. I said, look, I have a black uncle, and we call him the dog whisperer because he trained all our dogs, including ours. So um, I can assure you that dogs like black people. There's no, there's no issue there whatsoever. But it was it was a profound example of an, an intelligent person who's not a prejudicial person. He's, he's not prone to bias or prejudice. But he learned that early on, and it was never reexamined. And it mm -hmm. just happened to by coincidence in our conversation. Yeah. And it is that reexamining that awareness. I think first needs to to come the awareness, and and then that the re-examining of the situation. I'm I'm recalling a situation where I've got a friend and, and um, he often works in host events and is an MC and does lovely, lovely work. And from time to time, he will make a joke from the stage and I get very uncomfortable with the joke. And I brought that to his attention. He goes, oh, it's it's okay. I'm I'm of that ethnic background, 
and he feels it's okay. And, and I had the conversation, it's not okay for me, though, to hear it. I don't have permission to laugh at that. It's a harmful uh, stereotype for me. And yeah. he didn't get that because it was, you know, it was just different for him telling the joke from his perspective. Um mm-hmm. And I just felt incredibly uncomfortable and spoke up about it. And I, I don't know. I think it was one of those where we did agree to disagree. I don't know that behaviors change. I did speak up, however. I don't know mm-hmm. what the right thing there is. Well, I, I think that you express your uncomfortableness. Um, and and I, I feel the same way, for instance, when you know I grew up when we would never use the N-word. I mean, my parents would have gone crazy if we talked talked that way. But I, I hear, you know, in rap songs and, and young black artists use the word uh, repeatedly. And I, I find it disturbing, but I understand that they don't mean it that way. But, right. when I, but I grew up knowing that that was very prejudicial and very hurtful and very damaging. So I can't just turn that off. You know, and, and, and hear people use that, that word and think that it doesn't mean something. Because I, I still know it does mean something to some people. And, right. and But it's become, in the popular culture, especially the rap culture, it's become permissible. Right. Well, and we're not going to solve that challenge today. What we are going to do is go into our next segment. We're going to take a little break first. And then I would love to go into a little bit of brain work and some assessment work. And you have been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Stay tuned for more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Leadership development isn't limited to people in the executive suites or corporate boardrooms. Employees throughout a company recognize their role in fulfilling the company's mission. Effective leadership is a quality that must be shared by employees from the top down. Clemmer & Associates Corporate Mastery Workshop focuses on key topics to equip each student's development into a highly productive and ethical leader. For more information, visit Clemmer.com. That's K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. Kathy Fairbanks is available to speak for your event or organization. Kathy is the Director of Client Solutions for Clemmer & Associates Leadership Seminars. Kathy and her corporate team provides experiential training introductions to clients worldwide in order to support them in achieving their desired goals. Put Kathy Fairbanks to work for you. Call 800-577-5447 or send an email to Kathy at clemmer.com. The next step for growth is yours. Call 800-577-5447 or email Kathy at K-L-E-M-M-E-R dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
You are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at CompassionateSamuraiShow.com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. We've been talking about the new book, America Reunited. And Dr. Sierra McCauley, if you would be so kind as to let people know where they can find your book. I don't want to make any assumptions that it's easy to find. Um, Where do they find you? Where do they find out more information about your books? I wouldn't stop at one book. I'd go America Reunited uh, and then go ahead and order The Soulful Leader because you're going to really want to armor yourself up in this world that we live in. Um, And I'd say these are books to put you into a higher pillar of empathy and understanding and curiosity and relating at an interpersonal level like you've never related before. It's almost to give you permission to step out of that comfort zone and that box to rub elbows with folks of different backgrounds and really inviting and have opening conversations that let us know we're all breathing the same air. So where do people find you? Um, you know, my, be- my website, Kathy, is balanceyoursuccess.com. And the book is, a- all the books are available on Amazon. You know, I wrote um, The Soulful Leader, The Triumph of Diversity, and America Reunited in two years, the three of them, because I was so disturbed about what's happening in our country because leadership matters. And we've seen leadership where uh, the language has been awful, sadistic, and hurtful, and it's become sort of commonplace in America for politicians to use certain language now that has never been used before. Uh, and also diversity, the, the lack of diversity and, and, the, the, and the negativity about diversity uh, bothered me tremendously. So I, that's why I wrote that book. And, of course, America Reunited is the is a divide in our country right now and the hatred between groups that really has to be mended. But but all three of them are available on Amazon. Beautiful, beautiful. And again, I encourage you to go out. Um, They're quick reads, profound reads. Um, So go out and place your order. So you brought up politics. Let's talk about that. Would you say the Democrat, I I feel that Democrats and Republicans illustrate a hate for each other why is that the case why what's going on there because i don't know that i don't know that the people as individuals democrats and republicans and the people that are serving serving us i don't know that they're fueled with hate but hate is coming out of them so what's going on well what, what we see in the media is Democrats re- repeatedly say Republicans are racist, Republicans say Democrats are socialists, and we, we're less centrist than we've ever been, and we hear people talking in more extreme terms and, and very, very identified with political party like never before. You know, in the 1960s, Kathy, 3%, 3 to 4% of adults were upset if one of their adult children married someone of the opposite political party. Today, today it's 85 to 87%. That's how mm. identified 
Larwood political party. And by the way, congratulations, you have a wedding coming up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what we're seeing is that the, the majority of people, the majority of Republicans and the Democrats don't think that way. They, 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 we've overestimated the degree to which they disagree on central issues. You know, far right today is 6%. 6% identify as far right. And progressives identify 8%. And what we have in the middle is what's called the exhausted majority, 67%. So most of the people are in the middle, but that's not what we hear in the media. We hear the language, the abusive language, and we hear the disapproval of, of one group for the other rather than having what we absolutely desperately need. We need congressmen and senators who cross the aisle. We need people who just don't, Democrats vote Democrat, Republicans vote Republican. We need to see where they cross the aisle for the benefit of the citizens they're serving. And that's what we don't have. We used to have it. Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan were good friends. Uh, you, you know, John McCain and Edward Kennedy were good friends. You don't see any of that today. I have a, a patient who is, is a, has been a lobbyist in D.C. for many, many years, and she tells me now, she said, you don't even see them eating with each other, having lunch with each other, out for dinner with each other. We used to see that all the time. You mm. don't cross the aisle. That's the, that's the ethic. Don't cross the aisle. And that is, that is, that is destroying our democracy. Yeah. Yeah, I envision T-shirts that need to be printed up that say "Cross the aisle," and and really use that as a call to action for everyone in government, whether it's federal, whether it's state, whether it's at the county level. Crossing the aisle is how things get done, and give this country an opportunity to lead, like our founding fathers had an idea about, like what we're capable. Of. So I'm, I'm glad you speak to that. Um, let's finish out this segment with the brain. How do we learn and listen to our brain? Because sometimes our brain can be a little slippery with us. So how do we differentiate between those emotions and the old conditioning that we have? Um, let's talk about that. You know, I, I think we all grow up with biases, Kathy, and we have to we have to take into consideration that they're there, but we have to examine them. An unexamined life becomes a, a, a very dull, sort of black and white uh, existence. I, I think we, we have to examine what biases we grow up with and how that old conditioning is, is influencing our perceptions so that our, our true reactions are uncovered by the past. You know, we, we have to ask ourselves every day, do, do, we have, are we, do we have biases against certain cultures or certain races or certain genders? Because to live freely, we, we have to unravel our tendency to be dominated by old hurts. And, and we have to clear up those old hurts so that we can see the people in front of us accurately. And empathy allows us to see beyond the surface. It's the greatest guide to the truth. But, you know, it, 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 it takes time and patience to uncover the truth. And, and do we have the capacity to place our biases aside and perceive the truth as we listen to the news every day and as we get, you know, bombarded by information that may be accurate or inaccurate? It's hard work to, to discover who you are and to also discover our world accurately, the truth in our world, but it is absolutely 
the paramount for our happiness, the happiness of people close to us, and really for the mending of the people in our country right now. I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's hard work and the most rewarding work we'll ever do. Um, Dr. Sierra McCauley, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Go out and get the book. Um, take a look at the questions and the questionnaire at the very end. Um, it, that questionnaire alone is worth ordering the book. It's thought-provoking. Um, thank you for being part of this show. Thank you for doing what you do in the world. It is truly an honor uh, to know you and call you a friend. Well, thank you very much, Kathy. You're a delight to interact with. I, I can feel your warmth and concern about people as, as we talk, and I remember that having the same feeling the last time we interacted. Well, beautiful. Feelings mutual. You've been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I'm your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Until next time, knock them alive. Thank you for tuning into our show. You can hear the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, be sure to take action and create your own success.